You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. This is Stephanie Stuckey, and I'm here for another episode of Stuckey Talk, where we tell you all about the fun things that are going on at Stuckey's, and we feature some of our favorite nostalgic candy brands that are still around, and we talk about some of our favorite souvenirs and novelties and toys. So this week, we are all about baseball, because I heard, David, there's a playoff going on, right? And we're taping this from Atlanta, so of course, go Braves, but we're rooting for all the teams and want to see some really great action going on. I know last night's game was uh, setting a record and one of the fastest home runs ever, so a lot of excitement in baseball this week. Uh, so we are talking about baseball, bobbleheads, and bubblegum, and they really are all connected, not just with some fun alliteration, but all of these topics go together and have a strong history. Uh, so a bit of a sticky subject with the with the bubblegum, but before I get to the bubblegum, I want to talk a little bit, David, about what I'm doing this week, and I'm going to be hitting the road. That's one of the more fun parts of my job as CEO of Stuckey's is I've made a pledge to visit every single one of our stores this year, and I'm about two-thirds of the way through visiting our almost 70 locations. I'm going to be in South Carolina this week, so if you are in Somerton, Walterboro, Richburg, or St. George, South Carolina, you might see me at a Stuckey's this week. And I'm traveling with a couple of friends, and so for fun, I did a post on social media. If you don't follow me or Stuckey's, we are on all the social media platforms, and I posted on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and asked folks to give me some feedback on what is their favorite road trip snack. And I got a ton of responses. And so hopefully some of y'all can see, we also live stream this, I got... I I compiled the responses and I made a list of what are our favorites and uh you know which got the most votes. The number one vote getter. All right, so David, I guess there's a bit of cheating cuz I just showed you, but what is your favorite road trip snack? You know, when we hit the road, I had a when I was a kid living with my parents, I uh, had a mother, a wonderful mother that always cooked, and you know we had chocolate chip cookies, or we had uh, apples, or we had you know stuff from the house more than uh, stopping actually, and um, I guess, and she would always make up a big. We'd leave after my dad uh, closed the store, and uh, so we'd hit the road about five o'clock, and. Mother, and I always look forward to this. She did up a big batch of fried chicken, and um, um, butter sandwiches. And uh, wow, butter sandwiches—that yeah. sounds amazing. And Probably uh, on white bread, right? On white Very bread, old certainly. school. Oh yeah. So, yeah, it was interesting. A lot of the feedback people provided us were old school. Like when they get on the road, people really gravitate a little bit towards the junk food. Hate to say, I know there were a few granola bars and uh, trail mix answers. I hate to say this, but when I was a kid, there were no granola bars. They hadn't come out with them yet. Yeah, so... That's very old school, but yeah. a lot of the responses well, were uh, comfort comfort snacks, yeah. right? And 
Not necessarily the healthiest, but it's a bit of a treat yourself. Going on the road is a fun time and a time maybe to put aside some of the things that you normally do to just enjoy yourself. And you can take a little indulgent break and enjoy something that's a little more on the junky side. So even though there were a few healthy options, I think one person actually said apples, but of the, I got almost 250 responses. The majority of them definitely leaned on the junk side and the number one response is the snack I have in front of me which is combos Mm -hmm. for some reason people like combos on the road and I think there's something special about combined flavors more and more that's the go to snack is like the Cheetos with the hot you know so you want something in addition to the usual flavor um, and you're seeing more of the of the yeah, mixes sure. and not just your typical potato chip, but a jalapeno hot potato chip. So people ask for very specific brands when I told them, huh. what should I take on the road? And combos was by far the best. And people would say specifically, sorry, there's a little background noise as I open the box. Here's some sound effects. But, oh, these are great. These are really nice snack sizes. So I love when they do the snack packs. So maybe you're punching some calories in your snacks, but they put, they pack them. So it's a hundred calorie pack. So Mm. it's a, it's a small indulgence. So people were specific with what snacks they wanted. And the pizza got a lot of votes. Also the cheddar, which is the original. And then they also have baked cheddar. No, there's two kinds of cheddar interesting um and it says made with real cheese i'm not quite sure how they did that but here's that's that is the number one road snack winner and close behind it kind of surprised me twizzlers Hmm. this now we'll have to feature this on one of our shows where we really go into the history of twizzlers and how they were made but twizzlers scored very high orange slices that's very old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuckey's has always sold those. The jelly beans. So when you jelly bellies. A, when you go into Stuckey's um, and you're looking for these snacks, are they, do you have them generally in one area, or do you have them throughout the store? They're in an area. There's a snack aisle, and you'll see them according to categories. So you'll have your nut snacks, and then you'll have your chip family snacks, I, I have and then you'll have own, your candy, I and then you'll have, have your gum. Little aisle nut nut snacks. Yeah. So. Well, it may not be an entire aisle, but it'll be a section. So oh, they're categories. For us and, nuts that are yeah. Okay, nutty people. All the right. nutty people will have their their, their section. section. Okay. Yeah, well, that's fair. And you know what my favorite nut is? It's in season right now. It's pecan. Pecans. Yeah. Okay. Well, you say pecan, I say pecan. But pecans are in season now and through about end of January. But now is really the peak time. Sunflower seeds actually got quite a few votes. And in doing my research for today's show, talking about baseball and bubblegum, Baseball players love sunflower seeds and chewing gum. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting combination for me. Um, Oh, I'm checking to see if we've gotten a text yet from our guest. He has not texted in, so hopefully he'll be available soon to join us. Um, 
Here's one that I thought was really fun. Corn snacks. Corn nuts. So corn, is it oh, corn yeah. or is it a nut? I'm not quite sure. I think it's there were, corn. There were several varieties, but I just had to pick up this one because I'm just a sucker for really good packaging. And this one says, love, comma, corn. So it's like corn is the corn nuts are sending you a little love note. Love corn. This one looked really good. And I'm going to save these for my actual road trip. I'm going to bring out a couple more. This one only got one vote, but I had to buy it because it brings back so many great memories, and that's the Animal Crackers. The Barnum's Animal Crackers is really a great road trip snack. Pringles got a lot of votes. I'm going to close out the road trip snack section with another one of my favorites, and this brings back a ton of memories. A couple of votes for... Cereal in the original box. So those of you of a certain era might remember you would actually have your cereal in the box with the milk. You would break it open or you would cut it. There was actually instructions on the back how you would eat your cereal out of the box. Now, nowadays, they have these little plastic cups that you can have your cereal out of. It's not the same. I like old school. I like it in the box. And the great thing about cereal is it's not just for breakfast. So one of my favorite meals is breakfast for dinner. And you can have cereal all day long. You can snack on it. You can have it with milk. You can have it with yogurt and have it like granola. And the Kellogg's Snack Pack, the fun pack, is great because you get eight boxes, four different varieties, all in one pack and so I will be breaking this out on the road and really having fun with it all right I am are we getting ready to segue to our guest we may be having some technical difficulties and so I'll start teeing up a little bit about our our special guest today and this is our first time we've had a guest on the show and it's something we'll start doing moving forward and I hope I pronounce his name right. He can correct me if I get it wrong. But it's Phil Sklar, S-K-L-A-R. He is the co-founder Phil. and the CEO of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. And I thought I had a fun job as the CEO of Stuckey's. But I think being Phil. in charge of making bobbleheads and displaying bobbleheads is a pretty awesome occupation. I don't know where he's gone. But and... Oh, he said he's on the line now. He just texted me. Okay, uh, Phil, can you hear me? Okay, I didn't know where he had gone. Okay, all right. Let's Is he on? He's on. You're going to need to put on. Okay, hold on just a second. Phil? I... Okay, Phil. Uh, Stephanie's on with you, and... Uh, I can't hear him. Well, uh, pardon? I can't hear him. Well, he hadn't said anything. Oh, Phil? Yep, I'm here. Oh, I can hear you. Okay. So we're a couple minutes early. Thank you for being available. And okay. welcome it's very quiet. To I can barely hear you. I think that's why I didn't say anything. Oh. <laughs> you are our first guest on our radio show, so pardon our uh, technical difficulties as we get used to having guest on our is show. Is there a way? To, I have my volume up all the way. Is there a way to... Okay, you should be able to hear her now. Can you hear That's me? better. 
Okay. Go ahead and let's get it going, and I'll adjust it as we go along, okay? Okay. Phil, can you hear okay? I'll try to speak right into the microphone. Yep, it is a little quiet, but I can hear you. Okay, so I'll talk up a little bit, and Phil, first of all, just welcome. I really appreciate you being a guest on our show. What really inspired me to reach out to you was the John Wayne bobblehead, <laughs> and uh, we had uh, uh, about nine of these in the Stuckey's warehouse, and I offered them online as part of a swag box we were putting together, and the response was tremendous. And we had a thousand people enter our swag contest in five days to get a John Wayne bobblehead, which showed me the level of interest in these unusual quirky uh, souvenirs and, uh, and inspired me to reach out to you. So I really love it if you would just kick it off maybe with a bit of background on you and what led you to this amazing profession that you now have and talk a little bit also, uh, we'll cue it up after that, but we'd, I'd love to hear about the history of the bobblehead as well. But let's start with you and just tell our listeners what what's your life's journey and how did you come to have this amazing job? Yeah, well, first off, who doesn't love a bobblehead? Right. So I'm not surprised that people... Uh, that many people entered the contest and wanted to get a John Wayne bobblehead. But, um, yeah, for me, it started out just uh, my dad got me into collecting sports cards when I was growing up. Um, he collected cards when he was growing up in the 60s and um, 70s, and he you know, passed that passion on to me. And um, baseball cards and sports cards turned into, turned into bobbleheads in uh, the early 2000s, 2003. Um, the other co-founder brad was working for a minor league baseball team in rockford illinois which is about an hour and a half uh, from milwaukee where we ended up but they gave away a bobblehead for the first time uh for that team of their mascot rocco the riverhawk uh he got one and you know we thought it was pretty cool so as big sports fans we circled uh you know the bobblehead games were like we might as well get a free bobblehead if we're going to go to uh you know, Brewers and Milwaukee Bucks and the local hockey and soccer teams. And so the collection grew slowly over time. And then we started traveling to try to go to all the baseball stadiums. Uh, and we'd pick up bobbleheads uh, as much as we could. And pretty soon the collection grew a bit out of control. And <laughs> we had about 3,000 bobbleheads. Wow. And then at the same time, we also... We're producing. We started to produce a bobblehead. Uh, Where were you putting our, all these bobbleheads? Were they Olympian? just like in your and house that, or in uh, your garage? Combine those two ideas to create a museum dedicated to bobbleheads. Yeah. So where were you? Where were you putting all these bobbleheads before you created the museum? Were they just in your in your garage or in, in your house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they were uh, in the condo. Um, they wow. started out in you know on the shelf, one shelf. And then the one shelf turned into one display case, and then two, three. Um, and then when we sort of got the idea for the museum, they were starting to creep down into the kitchen. So that's when we knew <laughs> something was going to have to give there. I love it. Well, you talked a lot about baseball in your journey to being head of the and founder of the Bobblehead Museum. And today we're talking a lot about baseball, certainly on people's minds because of the playoffs going on. We're recording from Atlanta, so of course we're rooting for our hometown favorites, the Braves. But there's been a long history with baseball and bobbleheads. Can you tell our listeners about that? And sort of how did those two come to be almost synonymous with one another? 
Yes. Yeah, so, you know, bobbleheads actually started out non-sports. Um, the first bobbleheads were just uh, figurines. And yeah. Uh, didn't portray sports characters, but 1960 was sort of the groundbreaking year for bobbleheads. Uh, that's when the first sports bobbleheads came out, and that's really how they became uh, popular. And so 1960, there's a series of bobbleheads produced for all the baseball, uh, football, hockey, and basketball teams. Uh, but baseball were really the iconic bobbleheads, and those ones were available at corner stores and uh, at stadiums for you know, anywhere from a dime to a quarter, and people wow. would collect them and go to the stadium and buy, you know, some families would buy a new one each time they went to a game, maybe a couple times a year, or, uh, more frequently than that, and, you know, bobbleheads were popular in the 60s, but they sort of faded out in the 70s and 80s, but then 1999 was when the first giveaway of a bobblehead was uh, done at, and that was at the San Francisco Giants game, and so that really sparked uh, basically teams across the country to start planning bobblehead giveaways because they saw how fans reacted to that giveaway um, when the Giants did it, and just the number of fans who waited hours in advance to get the bobblehead and tickets sold extremely quickly and so they said hey i think we're on to something and since then they've been the number one promotional item across all sports what across all sports yeah, i thought so, it was well uh, there does there is yeah. a unique connection with baseball certainly right and that's how they yeah, had their so, you know and resurgence you see them more at baseball but also hockey and basketball do a lot of giveaways football there's not really a lot of giveaways period but when there is a bobblehead giveaway fans will go nuts for them why do you think that is yeah i think it's a couple things i think first they're fun uh you know people always love something fun um they're also a great way to show your pride for something so whether you're a huge you know braves fan um and want to have that way to show off a your love for the Braves, whether it's the mascot or, you know, your favorite player, Hank Aaron or Chipper Jones or Ronald Acuna, you know, the bobblehead is a, a perfect way to do that, whether it's at your office or at home. Um, and then the other thing is the value. Um, you know, people see that a bobblehead they got at a game for, you know, the price of admission might be selling for 50 or $100 on eBay uh, because people across the country may want that same bobblehead, but they're not able to go, you know, to Atlanta to get that Ronald Acuna bobblehead. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the value of bobbleheads. It was fascinating to me prepping for today's show and reading up on the history of bobbleheads, how some of these are incredibly valuable. The John Wayne one that we had, I, it, the pricing is sort of all over the place. I think you told me it's more around $50, but I saw where they were going on Amazon for $250. Yeah, so um, in terms of value for the bobbleheads, there's, you know, they definitely range. There's some that are definitely not as valuable as others, but there's some uh, just last year a New York Yankees bobblehead uh, from 1960 uh, sold for just over $90,000. What? So, uh, oh my gosh. I bet some of our listeners are probably out there. going to their closets uh, to find old bobbleheads now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. $90,000. Uh, yeah. Wow. And I, I, what are what are also some of the other more valuable bobbleheads? I know the Beatles in the yeah, 1960s. Yeah, so a lot of the bobbleheads from the 60s sell for several hundred dollars, sometimes in the thousands. Uh, 
even some bobbleheads that were given away at a games over the past decade uh, can sell for several hundred dollars, some even in the thousand dollar range. Uh, so it definitely is about supply and demand. Uh, every team has sort of some holy grail bobbleheads that you know people who collect bobbleheads of that team definitely want to get their hands on, and that really drives the price up because there's you know not as many of them left. Um, in circulation and once fans get them a lot of times it's something that they'll pass along uh, to future generations so it's not something that you know they'll sell uh, after a few years is it fair to say if you have a bobblehead made after you or or, you know you have your own bobblehead that you have arrived as an athlete (laughs) yes that that definitely (laughs) is the thing it's uh, sort of become a pop culture uh, saying once you've had your bobblehead you've made it and yeah you know there's some sports athletes out there that, you know, might have been on the rise that had a bobblehead and then sort of never took off. And, you know, so there's definitely some bobbleheads out there, people who didn't necessarily reach stardom, but they do say once you've had your bobblehead, you've arrived. And hopefully maybe that did got to their heads and they uh, it helped hurt their performance a little bit. But in general, yes, once you've had the bobblehead, you've made it. I, I would definitely think so. And as a plug for you and your organization, by the way, I have joined. I'm a member now. And with my membership, I got a bobblehead. It actually arrived yesterday late afternoon. So just in time for the show. And we have our show live streamed on Facebook as well. So I'm holding up my National Bobblehead Hall of Fame bobblehead. And uh, I love that the bobblehead you get with your membership is a uh, baseball player so it's sort of a nod to a nod right uh pun intended to the great work y'all do um can you tell me about some of the more interesting bobbleheads that are on display at your museum if we want to go to milwaukee and visit what what can we expect sorry cut out uh there but i think you asked what are your more interesting bobbleheads? Uh, what are the some of the the prized bobbleheads that you have on display at the museum? Yeah, the prized bobbleheads at the museum. Um, there's quite a few. So, ranging from that first stadium giveaway that I mentioned in 1999 um, to some sentimental bobbleheads like the first bobblehead in the collection, which are both on the history timeline. Uh, the Beatles bobblehead set from 1964. Uh, is on display and definitely a, a visitor favorite. Uh, those are that's probably the most iconic non-sports bobblehead set. Uh, we also have some of the first player bobbleheads. So Willie Mays, wow, uh, Roberto Clemente, Roger Maris, and Mickey Mantle were the first four players to have specific bobbleheads of them. Uh, and then we have a lot from the '60s. Those first sports bobbleheads. Um, and then also a lot of non-sports bobbleheads, some one-of-a-kind uh, bobbleheads that, you know, you're not going to find anywhere else. So tell me about some of your non-sports bobbleheads. And I, I want to hear about your Dr. Fauci because I read that article in the Washington Post, which is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, so about 25 to 30 percent of the bobbleheads produced are non-sports like the general one you mentioned. Uh, so we have everything from movies, music, comics, TV, uh, Political, just really anything and everything you can think of uh, that's been made into bobbleheads uh, or that could be made into a bobblehead. Uh, you think of the animals from the, you know, that people remember having in their dashboard. Oh, yeah. Um, we have a whole display case of those. Uh, so it's, yeah, really anything and everything. 
but yeah, Dr. Fauci, and uh, this was one that at the beginning of this year we would have never envisioned having a bobblehead of. We didn't know who he was, even though he had uh, an illustrious career and served under five presidents. But, uh, you know, when the pandemic started and we thought, hey, you know, nobody's really talking about sports right now. There's no sports going on. Um, what can we do? Uh, what can we also do to help, you know, make a difference with so many people suffering? And so we thought, you know, Dr. Fauci is on TV every day. Everybody's sort of listening to him and seeing what he has to say. Um, and there was also some Dr. Fauci socks and T-shirts and donuts. And we thought, hey, he needs a bobblehead. So uh, we released the bobblehead April 1st. And within a week, it became our best-selling bobblehead of all time. Wow. Um, and, yeah, they continue to sell. And uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic yeah. sort of keeps dragging on. But um people are getting their Dr. Fauci bobblehead. I think it's a way to sort of commemorate the the situation that we're in and also just have a little bit of fun with uh, Dr. Fauci, who so many people have sort of taken a liking to over this uh, this year. Have you actually heard from Dr. Fauci? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> so, yeah, most people have never heard of him. And No, but have uh, you heard from him? Like, did he actually reach out to you? Oh, did we hear from yeah, so uh, we haven't directly talked to him, but he has talked about the bobblehead uh, real briefly on TV, and then a Washington wow. Post uh, writer reached out to him to get a quote from for a story they were doing about the popularity of the bobblehead. So he's commented about it. He's glad that the money is going to a good cause uh, with $5 from everyone sold, going to protect the heroes campaign to get PPE to first... Uh, first responders and healthcare workers so um, I think it's all around a good a good thing and he was happy to hear about that. I absolutely love that story and I posted it this morning on LinkedIn because it's a great example of how businesses because bobbleheads are a business it's not just fun it's how you make your living and we all had to figure out how to navigate this new world when the pandemic hit and People were quarantined and the economy was slowing down and we have had to reinvent ourselves. So many of us in the business world have had to do that. And I thought it was really clever the way you thought about, okay, the traffic is down. People aren't going to Major League Baseball games because they're not happening. And how can we, and that's 70% of the bobblehead market. So what can we do to remain relevant and make a profit, but at the same time, be responsive to what's happening in the world and be uh, compassionate? And to me, it's just such a perfect pivot. Uh, so I love that story. And I love that you've gotten some great publicity, not only for what you're doing, but the cause, right? Because you're really think, doing yeah. something no, that's helping people. Important, I think for entrepreneurs, business owners uh, to sort of be able to pivot and, you know, sit down, think about the situation and what options you have out there, whether it's, you know, an alcohol company producing yeah. sanitizer to, you know, restaurants doing creative ways to get food to people. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different options out there. Uh, you know, you can't just close your doors and, and sit and wait. So if some of our listeners would like to participate in this, get a Dr. Anthony Fauci bobblehead for themselves, but also support a good cause, how can they, how can they get involved? 
Yeah, so our website is bobbleheadhall.com, and we have uh, everything on there. You can click on store um, and shop there and find Dr. Fauci, thousands of other bobbleheads, uh, memberships. You can also, we added, uh, just when the pandemic started, a virtual tour so people can walk around the museum uh, 360 degrees and look around the entire collection, and that's at bobbleheadhall.com backslash virtual tour so you can do it safely from your couch which was definitely a nice option with the pandemic going on so another thing that's very timely is the presidential election and i'm sure you're selling bobbleheads for trump and biden i was just reading this morning in fact how this ties in with baseball again how some of the baseball teams have historically at their stadiums during a presidential election year they let their fans vote by bobblehead and they will purchase the bobblehead of the candidate of their choosing are you involved with that effort at all i was just reading this morning how the yeah, charleston so team have, is doing you that the president presidential bobbleheads on our website and we have a few different versions of trump and biden uh, that people can purchase uh, bobbleheads for political uh, candidates and Political-related bobbleheads have actually been around since the 60, early 60s as well. Those were some of the, the first bobbleheads produced, and they've been popular ever since. We don't actually produce the ones that the teams uh, have given away for for those. We do produce some team giveaway bobbleheads, but not not as many. But, yeah, those, that definitely is a promotion that's become fun over the years where either selling or giving away, and in a lot of cases they'll give it away courtesy of a sponsor, uh, and te- people can pick, you know, between the candidates, so they would pick Trump or Biden, and then they see which bobblehead, uh, you know, is given away quicker as sort of a straw poll. So do you, are you selling the Trump and the Biden bobbleheads right now? Yeah, so people can go on the website at bobbleheads. We have a couple different versions, like I mentioned. The one that's in stock now is called the caricature bobblehead so a little bit of a fun take on the two candidates and then uh, there's also more of a traditional bobblehead with the star base um, that has a little yard sign there and those are also at bobbleheadhall.com and they're going to be in right, right around the election date Oh, these are so much fun. So I'm looking on your site right now. You've got a Ruth Bader Ginsburg. My guess is that probably is selling well, given her um, unfortunate recent passing. And you also have Governor Bobbleheads, Dr. Fauci's yes. up here, of course. And then you got the you yep. got the Trump so, yeah, and the Biden. Definitely uh, a ton of selection out there. Um, we also did governors. We also essential heroes were another one that we added uh, to contribute to the cause and also to honor. About 35 different professions um, wow. that sort of the nation realized uh, were essential heroes during this pandemic. And uh, $5 from all the governors and those uh, essential heroes is also going to the Protect the Heroes Fund. Oh, that's terrific. So it's across the board on your product line that you are supporting this uh, COVID effort. Uh, so really, that's terrific that y'all are doing that so i know this is a completely unscientific poll but which bobblehead is doing better right now is trump outselling biden or is biden (laughs) outselling trump they actually we've checked a few times since they went on sale but it always seems to be about 50 50 Uh, trump has had a lot more bobbleheads uh overall 
you know, Biden only started really getting bobbleheads this year. Um, so it sort of skews things because there's been so many Trump bobbleheads. A lot of people already have one if they want one. Um, yeah. But it is pretty close. Interesting. So let's say I wanted to have a bobblehead done of myself, or maybe David wants a bobblehead done of him. Do you do personalized bobbleheads, and what's the pricing for that? Is that pretty expensive to get your own bobblehead yeah, done? Yeah, so we do personalized bobbleheads at the same website that you mentioned, bobbleheadhall.com, and people can go on there and uh, choose either you know one of hundreds of different body types, or huh. you can do a completely customized uh, body and uh, if you don't see one that you like, but there's a lot of different professions and sports and really pretty much anything you can think of uh, as an option. And they started about $120, and that uh, covers shipping. And, uh, you know, you get a, a bobblehead of yourself or a loved one. Uh, definitely makes a great gift for somebody who uh, thinks they have everything yes. but doesn't have a bobblehead of themselves yet. I have got my dad's Christmas gift right now. That is perfect. $120. That is, I think, a great deal for what you're getting. Something a one of a kind. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it's so something cool. that's, you know, it's completely customizable and you go through the, get to go through that process, which you see, you know, how the bobblehead is made really. And you get to make sure it looks like that person that you're getting the bobblehead made for. So tell us about the bobblehead process. What is it like to make a bobblehead, and how involved is it? Can people come, if they come to your museum, is there actually a tour of the bobblehead factory, or is that sort of off limits? Yes. Yeah, so the process starts with the rendering, uh, which is sort of a design uh, of what the bobblehead will look like for the custom individual bobbleheads that step sort of is bypassed because you can see uh, the design and the really only thing that's changed is the head unless you get a fully customized bobblehead uh, but then from there a hand molded uh, mold is made out of clay uh, and once that looks good it's painted and then once it's painted and approved it's shipped out um, all bobbleheads today are made overseas uh Aside from the life as ones that we've had made domestically uh, in Ohio, but um, with 3D printing, that could definitely change over the years. It just isn't uh, quite there yet in terms in technology standpoint. But uh, it is something that we're looking on, looking at, and hoping to uh, to do at some point. Are they hand painted? They are hand painted. Yep. Wow. So each one is hand painted, and so you can definitely. I think that's one of the things people like about them as well is just that, uh, you know, each one is sort of unique and uh, and special. So I'm somewhat obsessed with the world's largest things. I think it's because I've been road tripping a lot, and that's a popular roadside attraction. The world's largest ball of twine, the world's largest belt buckle, the world's largest brick. This week I'm going to be visiting the world's largest boiled peanut. So, of course, I have to ask about the world's largest Bobblehead is it Conan and Brian? Is that the world's largest bobblehead, or is there another contender? Yep. So Conan's bobblehead measures uh, 17 feet tall. Uh, there was another one that was about 15 feet tall uh, that got a world record, but Conan's uh, is about two feet taller than that, and it's uh, in a studio parking garage uh, in California. 
at the moment. And we've talked to them, you know, when we first opened the museum, uh, reached out to see if there was a, a chance that he might want to give that up or put it on loan. And for the time being, they wanted to keep it there. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe at some point we'll have it on display either inside or outside of the museum. I think you should start a free Conan bobblehead campaign because he really deserves to have the world see him. It should not be shut up in a in a garage or a, a storage unit on a studio lot somewhere. That is, to me, that is just a, a travesty. Yeah, so we'll definitely see about that because, yeah, it was uh, actually first given – as a gift to the city of Chicago when he taped uh, some shows in Chicago uh, a few years ago. And Chicago decided they didn't want it, um, so he took it back. Oh, I cannot believe the city of Chicago did not want a giant Conan O'Brien bobblehead. That That is really a lapse in judgment, in my opinion, because what a, that would be such a fun tourist attraction. I would go out of my way to see not only the world's largest bobblehead but a conan o'brien bobblehead i think just the way he is he's so funny and he does kind of have a, a a big head yep, he he sure. lends himself to a bobblehead i it not i maybe i shouldn't say he has a big head he's got a big head of hair and i think that's part of it just his whole persona lends itself to a bobblehead so he is perfect to be the world's largest bobblehead and it really should not be tucked away hidden away in a in a studio lot somewhere. That that's just a real shame. We need a free <laughs> Conan. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're close to wrapping up. I did want to leave with one final question, and then certainly if you've got anything you want to add that might be of interest to our listeners. But I have to ask you, what is your favorite bobblehead? Can you repeat that? What's your Sorry. favorite bobblehead? Oh, my favorite bobblehead. So. Uh, sort of a sentimental favorite is the first bobblehead that me and the other co-founder had produced of our friend Michael, uh, who's a special Olympian and uh, oh. manager for the local sports teams. Uh, and that really started off the whole idea and concept for the museum. If it wasn't for his bobblehead and how excited he was when it came in, and uh, you know, we probably wouldn't have done this uh, or done it as soon. Uh, you know, he uh, just had so much fun with his having a bobblehead of himself and he was selling it uh, at the school and all over the place and raising money for special olympics through the sale of his bobblehead uh so that really kick-started things uh from the museum standpoint and uh, got us into what we're doing now i love that not only is it a great bobblehead but it's a it's a story, and it's wrapped up in doing something good, which is what has been such a pleasant surprise. And uh, my favorite part about your story and what you're doing is that it's not just about creating bobbleheads. You're really giving back to the community, and I so yeah, appreciate definitely it. trying to give back in any way we can and uh, having a fun time while we do it and putting smiles on people's faces. That's uh, terrific. Now I'm going to hand it over. I've got a, I've got a co-host, David Moxley, and I think he may have something to add. Yeah, Phil, I'm just curious. Uh, with all of your display cases and the bobbleheads, do you have the the neat thing about any bobblehead is watching the head shake? You know, so do you have in the display cases shakers or something that where people can see what it looks like when it's shaking? Yeah, it's a great question. So. 
Um, we're in an old foundry building that was built uh, right around the late 1800s, early 1900s, and um, there's something about the, the floors and the way we have the display cases that most of them do uh, move a little bit as people walk by them. Uh, there is a bobblehead display case at Marlins Park in Florida, uh, in Miami, that uh, has a case with sort of a constant vibration, and so we're probably going to have a few, at least a few cases like that, but otherwise uh, they do, especially the older ones, sort of bobble as people walk by them naturally, which is nice. Nate. Okay, well, do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off? Pop- no, I appreciate Phil? the opportunity, yeah. and it's great talking to you about bobbleheads. Uh, anybody can go to the website, uh, bobbleheadhall.com, and check it out. We also have our phone number and email address on there if you have any questions. And, uh, you know, bobbleheads are basically all we do, so we uh, always love talking bobbleheads. Phil, I cannot thank you enough. This has been so much fun. And as soon as this show is over, I am going online. I'm getting my Dr. Fauci bobblehead. I'm not only going to have a great bobblehead to display in my home, but there's a story to go with it and supporting a good cause. We will also post this on our website, and I'll put it out on my social media channels because what you're doing is terrific. Great talking to you. Yeah, thank you. And when I add that uh, this hour is brought to you by Stuckies, and uh, whenever you're on the road, you can put a smile on your kid's face, or you can put a smile on your own face as you see the Stucky sign and no one's coming up in about a half a mile or a mile. And the memories of Stuckies, and that's what this show's all about, really, is the good times had at Stuckies. The uh, you can get bobbleheads there. You can get all sorts of things at Stuckies. And uh, like I mentioned last time, I think uh, it's a it's a it's a good bribe factory in that uh, you get the kids something and they start acting up and you say, well, hey, we stopped at Stuckies and we got so and so. If you want them, you got to settle down. Or you can use it the other way. If you don't settle down. We're not going to stop at Stuckey's. So either way, the kids will mind just so they can go into Stuckey's. And I'm just curious, or and we've asked this before, please send in your Stuckey stories. We'd love to hear them. And if uh, we read one, uh, read your story on the air, I bet you'll wind up getting something in the mail. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> So send your you can send your uh, stories to uh, GM at America's Web Radio or Stephanie at America's Web Radio, and uh, we'll read them and we read them on the air. And we love those stories about what you remember as you were a kid. Daddy, Daddy, let's stop at Stuckey's. And uh, how many of those? It must be in the pajillions at this point. And everybody has a memory of going to Stuckey's. Well, thanks, David. And we've got some time left, and I've got one more feature in addition to the bobbleheads, which is bubblegum, also connected with baseball, because baseball players love to chew bubblegum. So I'm going to talk a little bit about bubblegum, and the history of bubblegum, which is really interesting to me, involves an absent-minded accountant. But before I get to that aspect of the history, I'll start to the way back beginning of bubblegum. It actually began, and I don't know how they figured this out, but cavemen and women used to chew lumps of birch bark 
tar. So that was the earliest bubble gum. Apparently, an archaeological student discovered that. I don't know how they found that and said this was the first form of bubble gum, but apparently they did. So I'm going to trust what I, I read in my research. So it dates all the way back to the, the early, early man and women. And then the ancient Greeks also had a form of bubble gum. It was tree resin, and it had a, a bunch of functions, not only being fun to chew, but it would freshen your breath, and apparently, they said, whiten your teeth. So Greek women in particular were very fond of tree resin to whiten their teeth. So fast forward like a couple of millennial, millennia, to 1908, and that's really when what we know is the modern-day chewing gum and bubble gum had its origins, and it was a man named Frank Fleer, and his company was called Fleer Chewing Gum, and he developed a recipe for bubble gum, only there was a problem with it. Can you guess what the problem was with the first chewing gum recipe? It stuck on you. It stuck on you. It was too sticky, and it fell apart. So here's where the accountant comes in. And I love a story that has an accountant as your featured hero because I don't think too often you have an accountant as your hero. But Fleer's Chewing Gum Company's accountant, their CPA, had an unusual hobby, and that was he made candy. And he came up with gum recipes. It took him 10 years, but Frank Fleer came up with what is today – the chewing gum recipe, and it would not only have the chewing capacity, but it didn't fall apart, and it wasn't too sticky, and it was more flexible. That was in 1928, so it took him 10 years. So here's the absent-minded part. Right after he made the recipe, he lost it. So it took him four months to recreate that recipe, but he came up with the recipe, and they took it to the factory and they and they started mass producing it. And do you know why the why bubble gum is pink? It was the only color that they had at the factory at the time. So they made it pink and the color stuck, pun <laughs> intended. And so that's the industry standard today. We always think of bubble gum as being pink. Of course there's other flavors and colors now, but really the classic traditional bubble gum is going to be pink. So, back to Mr. Dimer, the accountant's recipe. To test it out, what he did was he got 100 samples and he wrapped it in taffy paper. So, to this day, we're used to bubble gum being wrapped in some sort of waxy paper. And he took it to a local candy store. It sold out in three hours. He sold it for a penny. Sold out in three hours. And they decided they were on to something. So that very first year, they did a couple of things that I think were very smart marketing. And I'm always fascinated with how people market things. So what do you think is one of the best-selling points of bubblegum, David? It lasts. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, and it's um, kids. Well, you have to be careful with kids. They have to be a little older than, you know, you can't give a piece of bubblegum to uh, a two-year-old. Yeah, yeah. They have to be a little bit older where they don't swallow it. Uh, But I would say the biggest thing is it lasts and it's fun. And you can blow bubbles. That's it. Blow bubbles. 
That's how he marketed it. So he got salesmen. He taught them how to blow bubbles, which I don't think is that hard to learn. <laughs> and they would go. They went all over the country, and they would teach customers how to blow bubbles. They'd have these little events in candy shops where they would show folks how to blow bubbles, and it took off. So in that very first year, in the 1920s, they sold $1.5 million in bubblegum. I don't know how much that would be worth today. Too bad Mr. Dimer's not around anymore to figure out what future value of $1.5 million in 1928 was, but it was a, a lot of money. That's a lot of them. That's a lot of bubbles. And the other thing they did that was very smart marketing, they taught people how to blow bubbles, and they wrapped the bubble gum in something very special. Wax paper. Wax paper, but comics. Oh, Remember, yeah. they oh, used to oh, always yeah, come yeah. with a comic. And the original double bubble had two comic characters. They were called Dub and Bub. They were later replaced by Pud who continues to this day as the Double Bubble mascot. So in total, over the period of Fleer's history, they produced 1,002 comics that came with the bubble gums. So there's a bit of a downfall, which I think is always fascinating in any company's history, how they have a setback, but they managed to pivot and figure things out and come back even stronger. And that's no exception with what happened with the Fleer Confection Company. So they were purchased in 1998 by a company called Concord Confections, and this was when they had their setback. They stopped making the comics. They stopped selling the classic double bubble. They replaced it with gumballs, and they changed the recipe. So guess what? It wasn't as popular. And so that was that was where they kind of... Really had a they hit they hit a they 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 had a stumbling point, but in 2003, Double Bubble brand was purchased by the Tootsie Roll company. So Tootsie Rolls to this day owns Double Bubble. I think that's a great example. You'll see a lot of times companies purchasing classic brands, and that can either be the downfall of the brand or it could be breathing new life into the brand. One of my favorite examples is Converse Sneakers was purchased by Nike, and that is when Converse made their turnaround. Uh, So it was a complementary brand from Nike. It wasn't a competitive brand. Same with Double Bubble. It wasn't competing with the Tootsie Roll. And what was Double Bubble's competition? Probably Wrigley, right? And that's a baseball connection, Wrigley Field. Yeah, but what was the bubblegum brand? Hmm. I just know Double Bubble. Bazooka. Oh, Bazooka. Yeah. So I'm not talking about Bazooka today. Maybe that'll be another episode. But yeah. I, since Double Bubble was the first, I focused on Double Bubble because I'm looking at the origins oh, yeah. of Bubblegum. Well, you know, and, and uh, it never quite measured up to Double Bubble. And one of the reasons, too, was the comic strip in it. It was a comic strip. It was the bubbles mm-hmm. and the largest bubble ever blown registered by the Guinness Book of World Records was with double bubble gum. It was three pieces of double bubble gum. That's all it took for the largest bubble ever blown. And do you know how big the largest bubble was? I have no idea. 20 inches. Huh. 
Well, I'm tra- that's no, that's about thirty-six inches. I'm trying to hold my hands up. Yeah, we need like to kind that. of measure, but yeah. that that's a, that's a big. That's, I think the largest I've ever I done is maybe what, five inches. That that sucker that blew it had a set of jaws. I bet. Absolutely. To chew up three. It was a guy named Chad Fell, and go America. He was an American, so I think it, there is something uniquely American about bubble gum. So I, wanna, I think I stepped on that piece of bubble gum right? at the stadium. Uh, I was always good in finding used bubble gum in a baseball stadium. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole episode in and of itself <laughs> is bubble gum when you're done with it. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? What do you do with it? And one of my favorite stories is there is a place in, I believe it's Seattle near the wharf, where people have stuck their chewed up bubblegum on a wall and it's really a landmark now it's a piece of art and they took it all down because it was unsanitary the health department took it down and literally a month later it had been replaced with the same amount of gum (laughs) and so there's something (laughs) uh there's a whole history there with what do you do with gum i know as a kid in school that was always under your desk so you would never put your hand under a desk Yeah, in school, because (laughs) that is where bubblegum was and some other unsavory stuff that I'm not going to talk about today. But yeah, (laughs) yeah. So uh, baseball has been on our minds today in the show and baseball players love to chew gum. In fact, the average baseball player, I'm sorry, the baseball team, professional baseball team goes through 144 tubs of bubblegum per season. Wow. Why do you think uh, baseball players chew bubblegum? Instead of tobacco. That's right. It, it gets them off of tobacco. It's a healthier option. It also helps them concentrate. Gives them something to do. And baseball games are long. And so it gives them something to do, helps them concentrate, and helps wean you off of tobacco if you've used tobacco. Uh, so the other double bubble product I'd like to talk about is what's known as dugout gum. Have you seen these before? No. These are really fun. It looks like chewing tobacco. It's packaged the same way. And it came about in 1980. There was a pitcher named Rob Nelson. He was with a minor league baseball team, the Portland Mavericks. And their bat boy, he and their bat boy, Todd Field, came up with a shredded bubble gum that mimicked the tobacco chewing habit common among ball players in the 1970s. So along with former New York Yankees all-star Jim Bouton, they pitched the Wrigley Company, also longtime owners of the Chicago Cubs, and Wrigley liked it, and over 800 million pouches of Big Lee Chew has been sold. Wow. So, Double Bubble, now Tootsie Rolls, they continue to make what's the Double Bubble Dugout Gum. Um, I know we're short on time, so I'm going to close out very quickly with really my favorite bubble gum. You cannot call them candy cigarettes anymore because we don't want to encourage kids, don't try these at home. But they call them candy sticks now. But these were very popular in the 1950s. They remain popular to this day, actually banned in several countries. But I love uh, these bubble gum. I'm going to say it, candy cigarettes. So I guess we'll close out the show. I'm going to chew some gum. And, ooh, I'm going to blow some bubbles. You're going to have to hurry. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's been a pleasure. I'm hitting the road this week. Like I said, I'm going to be in South Carolina touring our Stucky stores. And if you're on the road, come visit me. And next week, I'll tell you some tales from the road. Thank you for joining us this week on Stucky Talk. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.